Do you know what time it is? It's time for the Workforce Show, where you will learn the latest news about employment trends, current opportunities, and innovative strategies for managing a career on WERA 96.7 FM. Hi everybody, Olga Polishchuk here with Jeremy Haas and a new episode of the Cyber Edition of the Workforce Show. Our guest today is um, Nakul Manjal of Status Identity of Washington, D.C. Nakul, thank you very much for joining us and joining our show. I know you have been in cybersecurity since um, 2003. Um, you have worked with the IBM security, you work with the Wall Street banks dealing with cyber regulation. Um, now you are with Status Identity. Tell us a little bit about what you do, your company, and kind of how you got to where you are. Sure. Uh, yeah, I've been in cybersecurity before, since before it was cool. Yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah, I started in 2003, and I kind of just fell into it by chance. I was working for a startup that was doing distance learning programs. So back then, there was a shift happening in the education industry where schools were moving to electronic-based testing uh, as opposed to taking tests on paper. Uh, and that, um, that was a shift that was happening, and the company I was working for at the time was uh, helping distance learning programs shift to electronic testing and also the bar exam. So uh, the bar exam made a slow but sure shift from 2003 to 2006 when the first electronic bar exam was administered. And um, I ran that team to administer the, in New York the first computer-based bar exam. And, what was and the landscape back then? Across the board, it was relatively nascent. So back then, we the technologies and processes for cybersecurity in general were not yet established. So um, uh, people mostly thought of cybersecurity as being passwords and firewalls. And uh, that, was, that was pretty much it. So uh, e getting applications to run in a secure fashion, having the bandwidth necessary to um, allow these applications to have uh, appropriate security measures in place, and even uh, we were making a big shift from what we used to call, you know, assembly language or DirectXML based languages um, and technologies to uh, what we have today, which is Java, PHP, um, Python. We have all sorts of libraries that allow us to develop um, much more sophisticated processes. So, so all of that stuff just did not exist, um, and and we were kind of just laying the foundation for it. Do do you think? Uh Cybersecurity for something like the bar exam is fundamentally different than in other industries, or it or? is very different, very very different. Um, so I work in an area of cybersecurity called identity and access management. Um, and if you look at the cybersecurity world, there's five different areas that myself and uh, many large companies look at. Um, they architect this framework around something called COBIT, C-O-B-I-T, which is the Control Objectives in Business and Information Technology. And um, there's basically five elements to COBIT. 
So first is your identity and access management uh, set of technologies uh, and processes, and that's where I work. Then there's data security, which is things like data encryption, uh, audit, storage of various kinds of data. Um, third is application security. Um, and there's two components to that. Dynamic analysis, which is pen testing effectively. You've, a lot of people have heard of pen testing, where you try to basically, um, a lot of the hacks today are penetration, <laughs> of penetration-based hacks, where um, you, know, you, you hit a server thousands of times over the course of a couple of minutes and cause the server to crash. And it causes what's called a DDoS or distributed denial of service kind of attack. Um, so that's, that falls into the purview of application security. Then there's network security. Um, this is this is very big. Uh, companies like Looking Glass and uh, and many others operate in this space. Um, the the big thing that's changed in network security is uh, what we call NBAT or network behavior and anomaly detection. So <clears throat> when we look at traffic across networks, across virtual private networks, um, across firewalls, a lot of this traffic is international traffic, and sometimes uh, hackers are in other parts of the world. So how do you identify the good from the bad? How do you analyze that network activity and look at the logs in such a way that um, allows us to identify anomalous or suspicious behavior? That's network security. And then the the last one is uh, what's called endpoint security. And this is really about protecting your devices. So your your terminals, your laptops, um, you'll have like McAfee or something running on on your devices. So those are the the five areas of cybersecurity, this didn't exist back in, you know, the middle part of the last decade. So there's been, you know, tens of thousands of people in this industry that have helped these kinds of standards develop. Well, I think I kind of interjected. We were, we were talking a little bit about your, your background and kind of got stalled at the education uh, projects you worked on. But, yeah. but then there was other things that happened after that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I went um, from... Uh, what used to be called instructional technology, which is uh, security built into helping teachers and um, and exam proctors and bar exam administration. And um, now, you know, after I left that space, medical exams often have a, a um, electronic testing component to it. From there, I um, did some more school <laughs> and uh, then was recruited by IBM uh, and worked uh, in IBM and in uh, uh, 2008, started at IBM, and they they had me in this rotational kind of program. Um, 2011, the uh, there was a tsunami that hit Japan in the Sendai district, and uh, I was part of a team that was sent there to uh, put in an emergency response system, and that's kind of when I went from a broader cybersecurity context to. Uh, focusing on identity and access management specifically. So right around then, the IBM did not have a specific security division. They just had various products, and each portfolio had its own security product. Um, but IBM made their own security division at that point, and, and I you know, was part of the, the founding team for that. Um, and then uh, from there, I kind of just really enjoyed IAM. And, and sort of philosophically security or cybersecurity in general is just about people and trust levels. That's that's what I believe. It's not about endpoints. It's not about networks. It's not about data. It's not about applications. 
it's fundamentally the people that are sitting behind the terminals and uh, the people that are involved in you know, doing their jobs and have a digital component to their jobs, which is almost every job today. <laughs> so IAM allows us to do that. As, uh, so I, I felt strongly about that at a philosophical level. And then, yeah, I, that's what I focused on at IBM. Uh, and then shifted to another company called Microfocus, um, where I did effectively the same thing, but it was more, um, you know, management, and I was more an exec in in that in that space. And, and then that led to, to the company that you, yeah, currently yeah. CEO, and that you founded and have have been you know, plugging away at for a few years. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we started um, Status Identity in 2017. I was covering, uh, I was living in New York City at the time and covering uh, Wall Street. Day in and day out, I was walking out of AIG and J.P. Morgan Chase and Moody's and <laughs> all the Wall Street banks um, trying to address their cyber cybersecurity-related issues. And one consistent problem that we kept coming across was that, you know, we got to put in more and more security controls because... FISMA and NYDFS and Sarbanes-Oxley and all these regulations force us to, but it's causing so much friction in the system that it's actually resulting in productivity losses. So the question there was, how do we make security easier for people, streamline their specifically authentication processes, and um, elevate the security levels simultaneously? So in the past, how do you, in the IAM world, if you want to increase security, your password gets longer. It goes from a four-digit numeric to a six-digit numeric to an eight-digit alphanumeric. <laughs> that's just, that's what security level, you have a mandatory password reset every 90 days, that kind of stuff, right? So how do we, how do we make it a lot easier and simpler for people while also increasing the, the, the security level? And, and uh, my team and I that I started, status identity with we we felt it was in in the area of biometrics so uh, we we founded status identity uh, looking at biometrics uh, specifically and 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 not just static biometrics which is fingerprint face these kinds of biometrics don't change from one access event to the next and something we've learned the hard way in the security world is that anything that's static anything that doesn't change will eventually get hacked like you can take dental mold and I can copy Jeremy's fingerprint, right, with dental mold. Uh, face ID can be fooled with, you know, more so sophisticated facial images, holographic kinds of facial images. Because it doesn't change from one aspect to the next or one access to the next. Behavioral biometrics is very different. So what it's doing is it's analyzing your behavior. Um, we capture data from sensors in your mobile device. You have accelerometers and gyroscopes and light meters and ambient noise and barometric pressure units in here, location. Uh, you have all these different vectors that we track and we build a behavioral profile of the end user. And then we're able to determine using machine learning and predictive analytics um, what is anomalous behavior and what is predictive behavior. And so fundamentally what you're doing is that you're not looking at access in a binary fashion, allow the person to enter or don't allow them to enter. You're looking at the risk level associated with each access event 
and determining what are the rights and what are the privileges that that person should have based on that risk. So like simple things, you go from New York to California in two hours, we block you, right? You do it in 10 hours, but you don't typically do it, we would elevate you to having to provide a biometric or go through an additional fence. So that's what behavioral biometrics is all about, and that's that's really what we focused on. So now we're in the process of uh, getting joining forces with uh, another company called Singular Key, uh, which also focuses on authentication through something called FIDO2, which is a new standard that just came out in March. And so uh, we'll be going to market with a joint with a joint strategy. And that's that's the thing with cybersecurity. I mean, this conversation could be completely irrelevant in six months. So, you know, that's just the nature of the industry. You kind of have to be a student to uh, to work here. Is that what kind of keeps you going in the field? That's what oh, yeah, 100%. 100%. It's, it's uh, anybody in, who works in this space uh, will tell you, if you don't keep up with the, what's going on, you know, we just had a giant Capital One hack. How is that different from the Equifax hack that happened a couple of years ago? How is that different from the Sony Pictures hack that happened before that? You know, Home Depot. There's there's so many, right? But um, hackers are always trying to find new ways to to break systems, to penetrate different applications. So it, it's a constant arms race between what hackers are trying to do and what those of us in the industry are are trying to protect people from. Yeah, so one of the things, we, I mean, we've been talking to a number of people as, as part of this, this show, and you know, we, we have, I'm starting to notice that there are, that people in cyber have very diverse backgrounds. And also related to that is there's a number of people that sort of ended up in cyber and they may not have expected to, to end up in cyber. So first of all, what, what's your thoughts on that? What, why do you think that well, first of all, do you think that there's a lot of people in cyber that, that didn't intend to be? And if, and if so, why is that the case? And I'm certainly interested to just hear some of your thoughts about just the diversity of expertise or skills uh, within cybersecurity as an industry. Both elements of that question are interrelated. So I, it's a very new industry. We, you know, cybersecurity in general has not been around that long. There was a major skills gap, which is getting better, but there is still a very, very significant skills gap in this industry. So at one point, you know, if you go back a decade, it was really just about finding warm bodies, right? Now, obviously, it's much more nuanced. It's much more specific as to what the role is. There's a lot of competition. There's a lot of companies. You know, this industry is growing, you know, between, I think last I read in a Gartner report was between 2016 and 2026, that 10-year period, the industry was going to grow by 28%. That's that's a number I recall. So if you, if you think about that, there will continue to be a skills gap. So, uh, so by virtue of the, the rate of growth, we've seen that skills gap. And, and also, the industries had to pull in people that didn't necessarily intend to be there, but you know you, you you need people to fill roles. So ancillary roles like you know marketing, security marketing is uh, is a very different than other forms of marketing, and uh, people who are in marketing related fields and in other product and service categories can you know they, they will they they can adapt pretty quickly. So yeah, um, 
that's that's a major challenge that across the industry anyone anyone will tell you. The other the other aspect is is that there is a lot of legacy thinking in cybersecurity. If you if you think back twenty years, who were the people that really went into cyber? They were engineers. They were the builders, right? And they said, yeah, let's. It wasn't really its own specific discipline back then. So they brought with them a bunch of baggage. <laughs> so we, we've we had to uh, kind of re-architect a lot of solutions. And, you know, there's various modernization tools out there um, to help accelerate that. But even today, a typical cybersecurity expert has a gray beard. He's not coming out of a master's program. And that's really something that, that we'd like to change. What are the top three qualities that you would look for in an employee? I know you mentioned flexibility, kind of the, the agile mindset. What else is important to you in your current profession? In my current yeah. thing? Um, engineering. I mean, uh, somebody who has a strong engineering-related uh, focus and has at least a cursory understanding of machine learning, and how training data works, how heuristics work, you know, just just uh, being able to differentiate a, a good set of algorithms from a bad set of algorithms, those kinds of things are pretty valuable. But, I, you know, we, I, run a, I run a small company. The, the type of skills that I'm looking for are, are not marketing-related. They're not related to, um, I mean, all that stuff is important, but because I have a smaller team, I have to keep them focused on product development, R&D, sales, basically those three things, right? So yeah, those those are the key missing skills right now. It kind of related to that, if, you know, if, if you'd met someone, if you met someone today based on what you know, your history and experience, they were wanting to get into cybersecurity. Is there any any specific advice that you would give them in terms of specific educational experiences or certain job roles or, you know, read this book versus that book? I mean, it's really meant to be a broad question, but but what kind of preparatory advice, you know, for for someone looking to get into cybersecurity now that it is a thing? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. What, what would you tell them? I used to mentor at a high school. Uh, it was a technology-focused high school in uh, Brooklyn. For uh, it's called P Tech, and it was all students that wanted to go into technology or s- technology-related fields. And there was a lot of interest in cybersecurity, which is something I really enjoyed uh, seeing. At that age, um, you know, seventeen, eighteen years old, my my you know my key input to them was try to go into something that's more engineering related form a form a basis for what you'll have to do in the future there's a a strong technological tilt to um, to cybersecurity and you have to have that foundation of sort of logical thinking understanding architectures being able to solve quantitative kinds of problems so I think that really gives gives people at the high school, college area, kind of, they set, it directionally sets them in a good direction to, to be specifically in cybersecurity. I mean, of course, there's other business-oriented roles that don't require that, but I interpret your question to be more on a functional, on a functional basis, right? 
for, for the for the core kind of products and services and processes that 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 cyber develops as people progress throughout their careers and these days i think to be in cyber it's good to have a master's level education because it, it helps you develop some some specificity around it data science is is a very very important skill set increasingly so i mentioned you know network behavior anomaly detection like you see in network security the days of binary controls and firewalls and you know those kinds of things are are gone so uh, it's all about understanding risk it's all about automation it's all about you know what what is what, what are the people behind the the hackers what are they actually trying to accomplish uh, what is the kind of activity we're seeing on the dark web and um, and those those kinds of things aren't they're not binary functions they they do require an understanding of data and specifically how to process very 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 large amounts of data in a in an automated fashion and as you mentioned um, behavioral biometrics being such a new field um, do you um, expect any new types of future careers to pop up in the next couple of years similar to that? Or This is a tough question to answer. <laughs> <laughs> so behavioral biometrics, there's about, by the way, just, there's about 20-ish companies out there trying to do. So it's an arms race right now in terms of who can get the market traction necessary. So it is a new space, but we already have established standards, you know, uh, geofencing and geovelocity are open source APIs at this point. So in the future, what kinds of roles I think would would open up? Yeah, I, I think uh, obviously data science is going to continue to be a strong need. And there is a major, major skills gap in folks that that are involved in data science, but also at, a, at the capacity of um, being able to apply it to cybersecurity. It's not so much the, the the nature of the jobs. I think it's the it's the willingness of a person to be a perpetual student. The learning, the capacity and desire to learn, is is mandatory in this field. So uh, you know, like I said earlier, any anything I talk about here could be irrelevant in six months. But it's only because I read industry journals and talk to people, go to conferences, those kinds of things. Um, you know that that's that's very important. I also I also believe there's kind of a, a a bit of a fundamental shift that's happening in cybersecurity right now, and that that security has always been sold through something called FUD, which is fear, uncertainty, and doubt. If you incite FUD in the in the end user, they will be compelled to purchase a product or a service. But that's shifting now, and we'd like to see um, more value propositions based on um, on uh, what are the client needs and how can we solve problems, not by inciting fear, but by helping them see security as a control mechanism or as a risk management kind of mechanism. So, yeah. Well, thanks. Um, I know we're out of time. Really appreciate you coming out and spending your valuable time with us today. Sure. Thank sure. you. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you for tuning in to The Workforce Show. This interview and others can be found at WERA.FM or at CareerCentralOnline.com. Thank you for listening. Until the next time.